Welcome to the Good Cities Podcast with news and information about city movements around the world. Brought to you by GoodCities.net. In this episode, Reggie McNeil interviews Glenn Barth, president of Good Cities. Glenn discusses the first three stages of six in transformation movements in cities, as described in his book, The Good City. Those first three stages are exploration, formation, and operation. Hey, this is Reggie McNeil. Welcome to the Good Cities podcast. I'm here with our president, Glenn Barth, who's here today to talk to us about stages of developing leaders who start a movement, specifically the first three stages of how you develop leaders who start a movement. We're in an age of movements. This is so important to understand. So Glenn, let's let's begin by discussing some of the differences between movements and organizations. Yeah, Reggie, one of the things to know here is that at, at Good Cities, we've made it a point to try to get to know what's going on out there in communities across the country. Right. And uh, some people sometimes get confused between a movement and an organization, and they start uh, an organization thinking that the organization can bring unity to the whole church in the city. Yeah. And, uh, and, and what often happens is that the organization becomes a dividing point. Hmm. And while they'll, they'll uh, unite some of the folks in the community, just the very existence of some group that says we're uniting the whole church ends up being an organization that brings a few folks together who are of like mind. Mm-hmm. In, in a movement, uh, what we have is something that uh, is very decentralized. And, and the church is classically decentralized. Think about it. Geographically, throughout your city, there are churches in different locations who influence different neighborhoods and some attract people from a large area of uh, geographically, even though they may be located in a certain part of the city, people from all the way across the city and southern suburbs might go to a northern suburban church. Mm-hmm. And uh, other, other churches are located in urban areas, but the church is classically decentralized. Not only that, we're uh, also divided and decentralized by the style of worship that we might have or the type of denomination we might be affiliated with, uh, the type of generation we appeal to, uh, even ethnically because of the church growth efforts to be develop churches along homogeneous units, we end up ethnically diverse as the whole church of the whole city, mm-hmm. but each church tends to be not too multicultural. Mm-hmm. if you really get my drift on this. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the one thing is, is that we're very decentralized. If you were just starting an organization, what you're saying is we're going to be very centralized. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a centralized organization has a hard time leading a movement because you'd like to do a few things that you can measure and say you do those few things well. And so sometimes when you develop a, an organization for your unity movement, you'll say, well, we do these three things, and you get known for doing those three things, whether it's feeding the poor or uh, developing church school partnerships or maybe doing workforce development. That may be all an organization can handle. Mm-hmm. The exciting thing about a movement is that it might include many organizations mm-hmm. and do hundreds of different kinds of projects uh, that are of interest to the people who are in the body of Christ in a city. Well, an impact goes way up with a movement versus starting an organization. I remember we were working with a a client out in Redwood City, 
and uh, they wanted to get involved in helping to lower uh, illiteracy or, or raise literacy, whichever way you want to say that. And it was going nowhere as, as trying to get an organization going. But when they established the Literacy Coalition, which honored all the folks who were already at work in that arena, suddenly every, I mean, you know, rising tide lifts all the ships. And so uh, it became a movement, and it's, it's just doing great guns, just exactly as you're... And it freed just, people up to act. And that's yeah, what a movement exactly. does, is it doesn't say, we're going to appoint you to be in charge of all the literacy right. aspects. They'll say, who's interested in this city in helping kids learn how to read? And who's interested in helping adults learn to read? Let's, uh, let's figure out a way that every person who's interested in serving can serve right. and do it well. And it didn't... It, it, Whereas starting an organization creates another bounded set, and you love to talk about the differences there. That's really true, and uh, I would say that um, a movement is is an interesting combination of centered set and bounded set, because ultimately, if you do form an organization that that holds the ethos of the movement together, mm -hmm. that group has to empower people to act independently of themselves mm -hmm. uh, and, and somewhat without their control as well. Mm -hmm. So they lift a vision like uh, the, the oldest one I think of is we want to make Pittsburgh more famous for God than steel. Mm -hmm. Well, under that rubric, there were certain organizations like Young Life and uh, the value of the person with Wayne Alderson and, uh, and then some church fellowships out there that really aligned themselves with it and became known that they were part of this Pittsburgh offensive. But there were literally thousands of people throughout Pittsburgh who identified with that vision and said, I'm gonna live that out through my workplace, through mm -hmm. places that I'm going to serve in the community, and through other, uh, other ways. Well, you've been at this a long time, Glenn, so you've probably noticed some patterns, mm -hmm. some stages right. that movements go through in their development. You wanna to talk to us about those? Well, and this is where I think it's really interesting because leaders who really want to start a movement uh, may come together. And, uh, and, and I would say, you know, of course, as you explore whether there may be people who would like to develop purposeful aspects of the unity of the body of Christ, you want to begin to draw those folks together. Often it may be pastors that come together to pray because that's one of the things that pastors are tasked with is praying for their city and praying for their leaders. But ultimately, we would like to see a cross-sector group of folks come together, folks from the private sector, the public sector, and the social sector who come together from different walks of life. And, uh, and, and, and this is a little bounded set. I mean, let's talk, we will develop a first kind of an ad hoc grouping of people who will come together and begin to pray into what kind of vision do we need to take the next steps forward so, in our unity. So you're calling this the exploration or discovery stage, is that right? That's right, that's well, right. What are some of those characteristics of that stage? Well, in that stage, first of all, you're going to be going and you're going to be asking others to share with you what their vision or what their heart is for what they'd like to see happen in terms of the unity of the body of Christ and in terms of the purposeful ways that we might serve in our community. Now, is this formally or informally done or both? Or? Well, there's a, there's a couple of pieces to the exploration phase. If, if, if you've just come to a community and you're new to the community, or if you've 
just read Jesus' prayer for our unity in John 17, and suddenly it's on your heart that you'd like to see the body of Christ come together, the first thing you're gonna do as an individual leader is you're going to go out and ask others what they might think mm -hmm. about coming together to work together in your community and what areas of passion do they have uh, for that kind of work. Now, over time, Reggie, one of the things we've discovered is there are certain ways that you might even build a team of leaders that is uh, cross-domain, it goes beyond cross-sector to cross-domain, where people from education, mm -hmm. uh, people from uh, the church, people from religious nonprofits, people from uh, uh, philanthropy, those in healthcare, those who, uh, you know, from even political arena those uh, folks from government. the civic and government mm -hmm. realm as well you you might call together a group of 10 or 12 of those folks and say wouldn't it be wonderful if we could begin to learn what other leaders in our community who are either formal leaders or informal leaders what they really believe god has called them to mm -hmm. because that'll give us a sense of what people will act on. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we said in another podcast was people love to volunteer with their friends to mm -hmm. serve their community. Mm -hmm. And uh, if, if you tap into a leader who influences a couple of hundred other people mm -hmm. and they tell you what they care about, then eventually as they go through uh, this, uh, this process of, of thinking about how we might work together purposefully, mm -hmm they'll begin to draw their friends in to work with them on the issues that they uh, share with their friends and perhaps are concerned about together. Well, there's a whole field of, of a whole discipline of appreciative listening is what you're basically bringing into this discovery phase. Is that right? Right, right. Well, I, I would say that I've watched it happen informally mm -hmm. in a number of communities around the country uh, before I began to think through what kinds of questions might really help us get to this point where 10 or 12 folks can begin to listen and ask good questions and they standardize their questions. Mm -hmm. And uh, we usually have six or seven questions that folks might mm -hmm. ask and we can coach folks in these. Mm -hmm. and, and then as they get the answers to these questions, which are really fairly open-ended and qualitative in nature, they're not quantitative, they're not multiple guests or multiple choice, right. but we get to hear about people's visions for what they'd like to see happen in their community. What are the most pressing problems? Uh, and then uh, if there's others who name the same issues you name, would you be willing to collaborate with them to address those issues in our community? And at the end of it all, we will uh, often write a paper that helps folks quantify what we've heard right. uh, through these 10 or 12 listeners who've gone out and then begin to form some task forces around the three or four top issues in the community and then to address those by learning what's being done and where the gaps might be. Now, is that what you call the formation uh, phase? It, uh, it's the beginning. We, it's the beginning of the formation. Because uh, you're going from being an ad hoc group of folks mm -hmm. who are asking good questions uh, to formalizing it where the folks who are asking questions often become a steering committee that these new task forces in mm -hmm. each of these areas will report back to mm -hmm. as they learn what's being done about these critical issues that have been raised. And uh, you haven't formed a 501c3 yet. You've basically called together folks. It's very, it's still somewhat ad hoc. 
But you're getting to the point now where as discoveries are made, uh, there may be that some of the task forces will make recommendations about how, how we can address some of the gaps that exist in services and, and then how we might uh, begin to maybe collaborate between different service agencies so we might begin to develop a collective impact approach mm -hmm. that makes us more effective in addressing a critical issue in a community. And that's when formation really happens. But one of the real key principles here is don't call a meeting just because you think the church needs to be unified. Yeah, right. Find you, out what people are thinking first. You're actually responding then in context to what you've discovered. Right. Which is, we often say that vision is not something that you create. Vision is discovered. Right. And uh, the Spirit and God is already at work in every one of our cities. So we are, in essence, uh, trying to hear God's voice, think his thoughts after him as we engage people. And then you're saying you move to respond. Now, uh, and that that's the formation phase. Mm -hmm. There's a third phase you wanted to talk about on today's podcast. Yeah. And you call that operation. Yeah, formation, I want to just say this real quickly. Formation is transitory. So, you know, you move through formation from exploration to formation into operation. Not yeah. every group that goes through formation moves into formal operation. They might spin off collective impact processes and other things in the city. But if you choose to become an operating entity that might lead the movement in the city, then at that point, you, you have to decide what kind of organization do we want to be that can set some goals and continually spin off uh, new collaborative efforts in the city that help us to address, effectively address, needs that uh, people are raising to us or, or issues that people are raising to us. So the church becomes more sensitive, but it's still something we hold with a very open hand. It's not it's not uh, as tightly controlled as as uh, uh, as an organization. It just becomes a covenant community that is either formalized. Sometimes they become five hundred one c threes, or they become groups that meet on a regular basis. The Pittsburgh Offensive that led this effort to uh, make Pittsburgh more famous for God than steel would have a monthly prayer meeting where mm -hmm. uh, those leaders would come together and pray over what's going on in their city. And then there might be some new things that come out of their meeting together. So these, uh, these stages uh, don't yield to templates where you just, you, you just move from one community to another with exactly the same approaches. If they have to be contextualized to the leaders, to the, temp, uh, to the communities, to the needs. Every, every one of these is contextualized. Yeah. And when you're asking questions, you're listening. So in that exploration phase, you're, you're really trying to develop a process that's inclusive and yet really make sure, make sure that it touches with key leaders in a variety of walks of life in your field. And, if, and when you're listening carefully then and you form something out of that, um, that's valued not just by the inner circle that you're working with, but by leaders in the community who see that. And then you get to that operation phase and, uh, and that, that new organization is something that the community values if it becomes a group that, uh, that teaches people how to develop collective impact 
or collaboration in, in, in response to critical issues that the community cares about. Well, thank you for giving us the conceptual framework for those first three stages of these community movements. Do you want to give any examples as we wrap up this podcast of folks that you 